and he goes to the bathroom while the shower's running, and then all of a sudden the toilet explodes. <laughs> he says that it's like not just overflowing, it is like pouring out of the toilet. And this is back before cell phones. So they're just there. The people at the church had already left, so they're sitting here in this cold, concrete room, been away from all this stuff, and he's like, I was done. He's like, I was so just tired of everything. And so the next day he gets up and he's preaching and he's, he's praying for people and he gets to this guy and he's like, what's going on with you? And he says, I have a fungus underneath my toenails and it causes me a lot of pain and I can't, I've tried medicine, I can't get it to go away. So he's like, all right, take off your shoes. And he said, there was definitely fungus down there. <laughs> and so he gets on his knees and he gets this guy's big toes in his hands and he's sitting there and he's holding them like this. Yeah, I know. He's sitting there, and he's holding him like this, and he said, all of a sudden, he's gone. He's not in the room anymore. And he goes back to a time when he was 12 years old, and he's with his dad. He grew up on a farm. And he's with his dad, and it was the very first time his dad was teaching him how to ride a horse. And he gets thrown off the horse. He gets bucked off. And right after that, his dad came up to him. He was terrified. And his, his dad looked at him, and he said, son, it's really, really important that even though you're afraid, you get back on the horse. And then he he was back there holding this guy's toes. He said, I was so beaten down, and I had been thrown everywhere. He said, I'd seen all kinds of success, but I was so tired and so beaten and so everything. And he was like, it's really, really important right now that I get back on the horse. So he prays for the guy, and the guy's like, yeah, my toes feel better and stuff. And he's like, okay, and he's starting to feel better. And then he said later on, the guy comes up on stage because they, they asked everybody that had been healed to come up. And he comes up on the stage, and, and when he gets there, they're like, what happened to you? And he was like, I was healed of high blood pressure. And he's like, <laughs> I prayed for your toes, man. Like, anyways, it was this really funny story. But he basically, that was, that's the only three manifestations he'd ever had. And that last one, that vision, is what kept him going through that season of, of trying times. And I'm saying this because, you know, we're coming towards, like, the end of the year and all this stuff, and, um, like, this whole day, I've been kind of in this, like, weird funk, almost. Like, it's good, but it's just just been weird, and I'm saying this because, like, I know a lot of us have been, like, kicked. I don't know if any of you, how many of you have ever actually been thrown off of a horse? It's freaking scary. (laughs) Like, it is, I was with Austin in Oklahoma one time, and I, the horse I was riding was, like, this big, and it came walking out of the stall, and I was like, God! <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> He's like, I'm not riding that. That's not the one I'm riding. It was an enormous horse. You had to, like, run and jump to get onto it. It was crazy. Super fast, though. Okay, I'm, I want to do some stuff. Oh, let's pray real quick. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Father, I thank you so much. Just thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you've done, that, that you've been so good to us just because you chose to. And Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray that you begin to stir inside of us where the kingdom dwells. I just pray that the worship of heaven just begins to explode out of our chest right now. And, and as the kingdom is revealed, and as right now, as the kingdom that you've placed inside of us is revealed through your word and, and who you are, I just pray that everything that's going on in the kingdom inside of us just comes alive and, um, 
that the things that have been put in there that we didn't even know about, the, the gifts and the callings that are inside of us, the, the great and glorious Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us would just be awakened. And um, I just pray for a realization of everything that's already going on inside of us, the, the price that you paid for us to have everything, and I just pray that everything comes alive inside. The fullness of our inheritance, the fullness of our adoption just becomes alive in us as, um, as we share your kingdom. And thank you so much. Just, God, you've been so, so good to us. And I, I, I am beside myself thankful for how awesome you've been just because you chose to be. So, Holy Spirit, you're so welcome. Angels, I just tell you, you can go out and do what you want to do right now. I know you guys have got some big plans. And so I just thank you so much just for everything. You've been so, so good. All right, <clears throat> so how many of you guys got to meet Jamie Inglehart when he was here? Talks like this. Hilarious. Like, he prophesied over me, like, um, I think at church, and I, I got to hang out with him a good bit after that, so everywhere we would go, he would just walk up and be like, seriously, though, Justin, nations. <laughs> like he did, and he just kept saying it to me. It was cracking me up. He would be, like, talking about whatever, and then he'd just be like, but seriously, nations. And it, it, super funny guy, and I got to I got to talk with him on the phone for a couple hours uh, this this past week. And anyways, he just shared some stuff that like messed with my mind really. And I don't know about you guys, but like if I'm in a service and somebody starts preaching some like serious revelation, I usually tune everything they're saying out because I'll hear the first part, and then my mind will go to something else, and then all of a sudden there's like all these dots connected in my head. And that's the spirit of revelation. That's what revelation is. It's like something coming alive to you that you didn't necessarily know. It's logos, which is the word for something that is learned, a word that is a knowledge in your head, like just a human knowledge of something. And then there's rhema, which is God knowledge, like the life that is behind those words comes alive in you. And that's the spirit of revelation. It's when logos becomes rhema. It's like you know something, but now you know something. You guys get what I'm saying? Yeah. And anyways, so that's what was going on with me. And he started talking about Mary, and he was really just telling, I mean, it was so true, but he was, he was telling, and Josh even kind of mentioned it a little bit. First of all, give it up for Josh and his Hugh Hefner outfit. I mean, good job. Way to go, buddy. Way to go. If you'd have brought your pipe, man, it would have just, it would have set the whole thing off. Good for you, brother. Good for you. But he started talking about, he said that, you guys got to think about this, like, let's, let's just kind of break this down, okay? And I, I've told this story before. You guys know I'm engaged. What? Now, I haven't seen Catherine in a long time. It's been a long, long time. And if she came up to me, knowing that we've had no physical relationship whatsoever, and she told me she was pregnant, I'd be like, Really? <laughs> so how did uh, that come about? Maybe I don't want to know. Never mind, don't tell me. I don't want to know. And then if she said, actually, I'm pregnant because an angel appeared to me and told me that I was going to be, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what you're trying to tell me is that he looked like an angel. I don't need to know any of this. This is, you've gone too far. But basically, this is the situation that she's put in. 
Now, coming from that perspective, I have never, ever, ever, a single time, ever, done something with Jesus where I had no choice. Ever. There's always two trees in a garden, no matter what. If you're forced into something, then you didn't make a choice. You guess that's not a choice. You were forced into it. So you can't do that. And God says that he is love. Now, if somebody forces you to love them, then you're not loving them. That's, you're working. You guys get what I'm saying? So let's read this. And um, I'm reading out of the message tonight. I hope that's okay with you guys. <clears throat> it says, in the sixth month of, Elizabeth, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is John the Baptist's mom, God sent an angel Gabriel to the Gilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. It's a big surprise. (laughs) You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great. Be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will rule Jacob's house forever. No end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy Son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son as old as she is. Everyone called her barren. And here she is six months pregnant. Nothing, you see, is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. And the angel left her. This is the thing, the very end. Let it be with me as you say. Now, I've got a lot of stuff going on. Like, I'm busy all the time. I meet with people, like, every day. I've got stuff going on. But the main thing on my mind right now is next month when I get married. That's really all I care about. I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. And anybody that's married right now, you can agree with that, that, like, the, the months and the weeks leading up to your marriage, it was all you could think about. I mean, if there was anything else on your mind or whatever, I mean, I'm sure there was stuff you had to do, but the months leading up to that, the weeks leading up to that, the only thing you thought of was getting married. So I would imagine that the number one priority on her mind was getting married. Right? It says that Joseph was a just man, all that kind of stuff. But she had to know that this could potentially cost her everything. She's a young girl. I mean, I'm sure she knew how many people were going to believe this story, but she still said yes. Now, this is the crazy thing. Right after that, everything falls apart. It says that her fiancé was ready to dismiss her in private, 
Basically, he didn't believe her. It took an angel coming to him. Then they had to flee because they knew that the Israelites knew of all the prophecies. They knew when the Messiah was supposed to be born. Everybody's singing messianic prophecies at this time. Everybody's singing all the messianic, uh, messianic psalms. They were reading all of the messianic scrolls in Isaiah in the synagogues. There was a heightened sense of awareness of this. The king is coming. She had to know that this could possibly and potentially crush her world. But she still said yes. And then every, her whole world dropped out. How many of you guys have ever gotten a word that you knew was so tangible? And then everything fell apart. You were like, I know that I know. I heard the voice of God. I know that I know that I'm moving in the right direction. I know that I know that I heard the voice of God in this situation. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom. And you're like, God, I thought you said that this was going to happen. But she went for, she said, yes. That blows my mind. She said yes. This also meant that she was going to go through the pains of childbirth. She was going to have to carry this child. She was going to walk around all pregnant. And think of the shame that comes with this. Telling her parents, nobody's going to believe her. How many people believe you whenever you tell them the vision that's on your heart? How many times have you had like this huge vision in your mind and you go and tell somebody and they're like, okay, that's nice. (laughs) I believe you, buddy. You just stay the course. I hate when people say that so much because they're really saying it's not going to (laughs) happen. Maybe that's just me. None of you guys have dealt with that. Okay. Because I have. Some of you guys in this room have done that. So. But you know what? Through the sacrifice that she made, what did she instill instill in Jesus when he was here? You got a different daddy. They flee to Egypt because they had to. Like they're saying, all the wise men came. They brought enough money for them enough gold and mirth and all that kind of stuff to where they could live in Egypt because there was no way that an Israelite was going to get a job there. I'm sure the rumors of him being a bastard didn't just leave him. So he lived with that. Think about that shame. And then whenever people ask him, kids are mean. I don't know if you guys, I was mean. I know I was a very mean little boy. (laughs) Like, if I found a way to make fun of you, I did it. (laughs) I mean, like, so, (laughs) so I mean, like, I was a mean little boy. And I'm sure they heard the rumors too. I'm sure they heard their parents talking, all this kind of stuff. And on top of that, he was an Israelite in Egypt and he was a bastard little boy. Think about it. It was tough. And think about him trying to explain to people when they were like, how come your mama doesn't know where your daddy is? Well, because my daddy's God. I'm just saying, like, he knows rejection well. I mean, like, and he had to grow 
in favor with God and with man. He wasn't born knowing who he was. He was told by his mom who he was. And I, I, say, I say this all the time. I, I, I mean, it's been one of my main messages forever now. But we have to believe in Jesus, but he had to believe in himself. You know, it's, easy, it's, it's a lot easier for us to point to something that was actually historically done. We can prove that it happened. He had to point to himself. Think about this, guys. This is real. You know, I'm beside myself right now, to be completely honest. I was, like, hanging out today, and I, like, everybody came up, and they started, like, worshiping and stuff, and I was, like, out there just kind of watching, and I was absolutely blown away. I mean, like, my mind was messed up, and I was sitting there afterwards, and I was talking to Josh, and I was just like, man, I wish I could take you back to when this first started, because I know, like, to some people, this still may seem small or whatever, but guys, if you could have seen it was bad, and like, I didn't want to be there. Nobody else wanted to be there. I was living, truthfully, on just like a word from God that I was supposed to be doing this. I mean, it was like tough, and I'll never, ever forget. I'll never, I I can't, I wish that I could in some way like transfer everything that I was feeling and like this, like the fear back then and like the joy and seeing stuff happen now. And like, I wish that in some way I could do that. But then today, earlier than this, I mean, this has been like an all day thing. I was washing clothes and I was, I was taking clothes out of the washer and putting them in the dryer. And I remembered, it was like the, or the day after I quit doing drugs, like the day I was like done. And I'll never forget it because my uncle was supposed to take me to school the next day. I lived like three miles from the school. It was about that, right? Like from that apartment to, it was like three miles from the school. And it was wintertime. And in Texas, it's like that wet, awful cold, you know? And I had put my clothes in the washer that night and I was going to go to bed. And I asked my grandma, will you please put my clothes that are in the washer in the dryer? And she got drunk and fell asleep and forgot. And on top of that, my uncle was supposed to take me to work or to school the next day, but he got called into work at like four o'clock in the morning. So I wake up, first thing I go in and my clothes are still wet. And I'm like, that sucks. This point in time, I had, um, I had a pair of shorts, a pair of jeans and two shirts. And that's all, that's the clothes that I owned. And we were living uh, in a really small apartment and it was me, my uncle, my grandmother, my brother, and my mom, and this like one and a half, it, like the bedroom was literally like the size of a closet. It was super small. And that's where we all lived. And things weren't that great in my life at this time. And I wake up after I've just made this like huge thing, like I'm not doing drugs. So I don't know if any of y'all have ever gotten off drugs. The next day is not that cool. <laughs> it's awful. And so like I wake up, I'm already not feeling very good. I go in and my clothes are wet. And then so I'm like, all right, I have to wear wet clothes today. Not that big a deal. So I put on my wet clothes and I go into my uncle's room and he's not there. And I'm just like, okay, where's Uncle Bob? My grandma's like, hey, I'm really sorry. I forgot to put your clothes in the dryer. And I'm like, it's okay. 
She's like, oh, and uh, Bob got called into work this morning, so you're going to have to walk to school. And I'm just like, mm. So I'm in wet clothes. It's freezing outside. I don't know if I had a jacket at the time. And I'm walking to school, and I'm just like, this sucks. <laughs> like, why? And I, at this time, I was living in Plano, Texas, which is like one of the richest cities in all of Texas. So I'm like way already like looking at all these kids that have everything and I'm living the life that I'm living, you know, and I'm walking to school and I'm just like, why does life have to suck this much? Like, why does everything always have to be hard? Why? And I mean, I just, I can go back and get in that frame of mind. And then I went further back and like, I started remembering like naturally who I was as a person. And it wasn't good. Austin, uh, had he, we went to the same middle school, and I was a year older than him. And I, had, I think I had gone to ninth grade, which was like high school or whatever, and he was, he was still there. And he went into the office one day, and uh, the, the teacher's son was one of his friends or something. I don't know. And the teacher was just like, so Austin, I haven't seen you in a long time. Where have you been? And he's like, oh, I've just been really hanging out with uh, Justin and John Knapp. And she gave him this look like, you need to stay away from those two. Now, this is funny, but I love when Austin's here. Like, whenever I start, first got here and I was, like, here by myself, I would tell all my friends all these stories, and they were like, I don't believe anything you're saying. And then I loved it when Austin came out here, and I was just like, please tell them I'm not lying. <laughs> and like, he was like, look, if anything, he under-exaggerated some of that stuff. But really, like, that was the reputation that I had of, like, this kid that no, I mean, like, I'm so serious when I say that I've had parents come up and grab me and be like, you stay away from my kids. And like, like try to go and take a girl out on a date and her dad comes up and like, you ever come near my daughter again? And like, I'm so serious when I say all of this stuff. I mean, it's the honest truth. Austin was my best friend. And I think when I was in like ninth grade, I tried to kill him. I was holding him under the pool. I mean, this is like, I'm like, I was seriously trying to kill him. I was holding him under the water, choking him. Like, I didn't stop until his body started, like, convulsing. And I was like, oh, God, he's really going to die. <laughs> and I, I took myself back to this kid that was, like, jacked up. Just not doing good, you know, and had no hope. When I was in ninth grade, I was at school, and I think I was in math class. And I got somebody came in with a note. It was, like, one of those pink slips, you know. And they came in and they handed it to me and, and I, they said, you have to go to this classroom right now. And the teacher said, you can go. So I go in there and there's um, my English teacher, I think, and then two counselors. And so I sit down and I start talking to them. And before too long, they just asked me, they were like, so what do you want to do with your life? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> like I want to live and like... And so I start like telling them, you know, well, I want to do this. and I think I want to play football in college and all this kind of stuff. And they were like, well, Justin, we just, we really want to be realistic with you. And I'm like, okay, what does this mean? You know, and they were like, Justin, we really think that it's time now that you start looking into other options other than college. And I was like, uh, what do you mean other than college? And they're like, well, with your home life, which we know about, we know your father's incarcerated, we know you, you've had some problems. I, I, we just had some stuff growing up, you know, and, and they start telling me all this stuff, and, and 
And they basically were just telling me, like, look, you need to, like, just kind of give up and start planning for other options other than college. And I remember thinking, like, these are my teachers. They're the ones that are supposed to, like, encourage me to do this. And they're, like, telling me that I need to learn how to be, like, a like a hand at a job site or like look into oil fields and all this kind of stuff because I'm going to work manual labor for the rest of my life. Well, there's nothing wrong with manual labor, but they're basically saying you don't have a very good brain. (laughs) So figure out how to do something else. I'm just like, man, you know, (laughs) like this sucks. And going back and thinking about all of that, And just realizing that, look, they were right. I didn't have very many options. I definitely didn't have a whole lot of choices. Whenever it got to my senior year, um, like or my, the end of my junior year, when you're supposed to like fill out your FAFSA and stuff, I couldn't fill out. I would have got paid to go to college. By that time, I'd picked up my grades and stuff. And I could have gone to any college I wanted to if I got accepted because my dad was in prison, my mom didn't make any money, all this other kind of stuff going on in my life. I would have got paid to go to school, but I couldn't fill out a FAFSA because my mom hadn't done her taxes. And if I would have filed that with her tax stuff, she would have gone to jail. So my mom was like, you just go to college if you want to. And I was like, okay, I guess I won't. You know? <laughs> so I'm just saying, you know, there was, like, there was a, like a brick wall at every single place I tried to go. But there was always this like way, way, way deep down inside of me and something that was just like, you're different. You're, you're different. What they're saying is not completely true. There's something special about you. And I, I would just kind of like throw it away because when everybody else tells you all kinds of things, it's hard to believe like a little voice, you know. And my senior year of school, I, I went and got a full-time job because I was like, look, if I'm going to have to work for the rest of my life, I might as well start now. And so as soon as football season was over my senior year, I went and got a full-time job. And started working, and that's when everything really started changing. Guys, when I say that God is relentless, he is. Isn't it funny that every leader in the Bible, they were tried, someone tried to kill them before they were a month old, or as soon as they were born? The devil wants to kill your promise. And not even that, he wants to kill the promise to this world. The whole creation groans for the realization of the sons of God. Come on. And so, all of a sudden, through this, like, crazy, I can't, it was way too long for me to go through this whole story of how I got out here. But all of a sudden, I'm in school. Somebody paid for all three years of my college. I got a brand new car. No one out here knows that I'm such a screw-up where I came from. And I'm just here. And all of a sudden, other stuff starts happening. Like, I was in class, and and the people that were in my class can tell you this. I didn't all I did was work. I mean, I worked a full-time job, so it wasn't like I tried to do anything. But after school, everybody would come up to me and be like, hey, Justin, what are we doing today? And I'd be like, I don't know. I'm going to work. I don't know what you guys are doing. But every time we were in a group, everybody would look to me and say, hey, what are we doing? 
Or what should we do? And I was like, I, uh, I don't know. And then I just get a word to go to a church. I get to the church, and everyone there is super old. And then I get a word that I'm going to be a pastor at that church. I'm way younger than everybody there. And then I get a word like, hey, let's start this little group, and no one shows up ever. How many, I, there's only a couple of you guys that are actually here, but you guys remember like sitting at the window and watching the parking lot praying that one person would drive in and somebody would come in and we'd be like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. the band would get back up. I guess we got to start practicing for tonight. You know, like I started thinking like, oh God, I really have to say something. Like there's two people and I'm doing like mic check. <laughs> true story. Totally true story. I had a mic. There was three of us. <laughs> Like I said, it was not very good. Do you know what? Through all of that, and th- I mean, guys, there I, I could go through and start telling you some of the roadblocks that we hit, and it was bad, man. There was like something to fight at every single turn. There was something to overcome, like every single stage. Like as soon as Dan said, hey, let's start this group, my brother died after I had surgery. Like, oh, like five days after I had the first surgery. I'd, it was like the third time I'd ever been to a doctor, and I had to have my appendix out. Five days after that, I get a phone call that my brother just died. I have to get to Texas immediately. God, I'm telling you, like, there has been some, like, some roadblocks not long ago, one of my best friends, we were sitting around and we were praying. He's super prophetic. And I've shared this here before. But we're sitting around and we're talking. And he looks at me and he says, Justin, God's asking you a question. And I was like, okay. He said, he wants to know if you'll serve him if everyone leaves you. Everyone. And I'm just like, uh. I said, yes. But I mean, that's easy to say when you've got a room full of people around you. But would we? Everyone leaves you. You don't know why they're with you to begin with. Like, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I'm totally confident and all this kind of stuff. And I do have a lot of confidence in the Lord, and I have faith, and I've seen some cool, cool stuff happen. But I still stand up here, and I'm like, why are all of you here listening to me? How in the world did this happen? That's why I like to come to band practice and just sit and watch and, like, we have a band and they're practicing. <laughs> I've never gotten over this stuff. To this day, whenever somebody comes up to me and they're like, Justin, I would really like to meet with you. I'd just love to sit down and talk with you. I'm like, why? <laughs> and they're so serious. I was in Cape Town not long ago and I'm sitting there and all these church leaders, my friend Stefan set up all these meetings with these church leaders and he's telling all of them, you've got to meet this guy. You have to hear what he has to say. And I'm sitting down with these guys that like there was this like a couple different people that are extremely influential where they're at and I'm sitting there and they're asking me all these questions about what would you do in this situation? What should we do about this? This is what we're doing. And I'm sitting there and I'm answering their questions but I'm like, how in the world did I get here? How did this happen? Every time somebody walks up to me and hands me a check, I'm still like, 
you're giving me this just because I am who I am. No other, there's no, like, I don't have to do anything for this. And they're like, we just, we believe in you. I've never gotten over that. I hope I never do. I want to, I want to read another scripture really quick and, and then I'm going to do something else and we'll be done. How many of you guys have ever had a bad day? Really? You guys are awesome. You never had a, some of you have never had a bad day. Praise God. That is awesome. <laughs> so this is, this is 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 4, and this is out of the message again. But it says, David and his men burst out in loud wails wept and wept until they were exhausted with weeping. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of crying when you're tired because you've been crying so much. David's two wives, he should have been crying over that in the first place. I don't know how to say her name of Jezreel. And Abigail, widow of Nabal of Carmel, had been taken prisoner along with the rest. And suddenly David was in even worse trouble There was talk among the men, bitter over the loss of their families, of stoning him. David strengthened himself with trust in his God. He ordered Abathar, the priest, son of Elimelech, bring me the ephod so I can consult God. And Abathar brought it to David. So basically, they take off, the men do, and as they take off, the enemy comes in and takes all of their wives, all of their children, and takes everything. So they come back tired to find out that their families and everything that they own are gone. David included. He lost everything too. And then because of the favor that was on his life, everybody looks to him, this is your fault. He, didn't, I mean, he, he had nothing to do with it. I mean, his, his wives and everything he had got taken too. And then it says, and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Whatever translation you want to think, that's wrongly translated. Jamie is the one that shared this with me, and it messed me up. But the actual translation, if you read it in the Greek, it says, in da- or in the Hebrew, David conquered himself in the Lord. He conquered his own self in the Lord. And then said, bring the ephod, I need to pray. He has lost everything. And then the men that just went to war with him were all talking about killing him. He's just lost it all. And he conquered himself. What do you think he used to do that? There's promises on the inside of you that you've had since before you were formed. And you need to find out what those are. You don't know. nothing else, you've been adopted. That's a promise. That's already happened. You're not a slave anymore. You're a son and a daughter and a co-heir with Christ. That's one promise. It's already taken place. He conquered himself. How many of you guys have ever felt like quitting before? A lot. Recently. 
when you get in the face of something and it's the problem, it's whatever's attacking you, and it feels like it's all around you, you can't break free from it. There is a way of escape. And it's right here. Most of the time, we just have to conquer ourselves, because the truth is that no weapon that's formed against us will prosper. That if God is for us, then who could ever be against us? That's the truth. The facts may be that there's all kinds of stuff around you. There's all kinds of things that look like they are definitely prospering. It may look like things are definitely standing against you. But the truth is, is that you're going to make it. You're going to get through it. There's nothing that can stop you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. There's nothing in this world that can stop you. There's nothing in this world that can keep what you have coming to you from happening. It's not possible. All right. I hope, is that? Yeah. Yeah, Can I hear like a amen? amen. amen. Church. <laughs> Whoever's saying that, keep that up. That's hilarious. Hilarious. Okay, Matthew chapter 10. I've had all kinds of people get really upset with me about this, but Jesus says, don't be naive. Some people will impugn your motives. Others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities without knowing it. They've done you and me a favor, given you a platform for preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you're going to say or how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply the words. I get in all kinds of trouble for this. But also when he was sending his disciples out, he said, give no thought for what you're going to say. Don't take anything with you. Plan on never coming back. Don't worry about it. And then he goes on to say, God's going to take care of you. I get in all kinds of trouble because I'm not the guy that sits and studies for hours before I preach. I study all the time. I pray all the time, but it's not for what I'm going to say to you guys. You know what? I highly doubt that Jesus did that. In fact, I know he didn't. He walked, and as the Father said something to him, he let it out. Why? Because the kingdom was here. I talked about this last week, okay? But in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit came down, that's actually wrongly translated because the Greek says that it came out. It came out of him, of all that were there. It actually says it exploded out of them and all of them were filled. You're not waiting for anything. It's all right here. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are a co-heir with Christ. Everything he has, so do you. And it's all right here. 
what Jesus, why he was saying, give no thought for what you're going to say. If I were to plan out, I know that Jesus can do this, and it makes other people feel a lot more comfortable to have like, you know, four or five points and all that kind of stuff before they stand up here. That's fine. But when I walk into a room, I want what the kingdom needs to say to you to come out of me. I want what's going on in here, the fullness of the kingdom, to come out, not what's in here. What's right here? See, you can know a lot. How many of you guys have been in a service where this guy was preaching and he knew so much, but you could have fallen asleep the entire time? And it was just a lot of words and a lot of knowledge. There's nothing wrong with that. I love scholars. I love people that do all that kind of stuff. But there's a big difference in knowing something and having something. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not preceded. Proceeds. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you look at the translation of that, that actually says faith comes by hearing and then hearing and then hearing and then hearing and then hearing. It's a word that doesn't have an end. It continues. It's a word that means you continually keep hearing the voice of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Who was Jesus talking to? He wasn't just reading the scrolls when he went up to the mountain. He didn't even have them. He was talking. He was listening. He was fellowshipping. How can you fellowship with something that's dead? So who he was talking to had to be alive. And all of you in here are alive. And if I came up and said hi, you would probably say hi back unless you're rude. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? If someone is alive and you talk to them, they talk back. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Everything that he is saying and keeps on saying and continues to say and doesn't stop saying about you. I talk about this a lot, guys, but it's just the truth. You know, I'm not surprised, and, and you guys, anybody that's ever been to Pulse before and has heard me speak, you know how much honor and respect I have for the church that came before us. I, am a, I honor that to the highest. But I'm not surprised that our parents and grandparents go to dead churches because they talk about the words that preceded, not about the words that are preceding. What is he doing right now? What is he saying to you right now? I know this, that we have not received the spirit of bondage to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, and the spirit himself bears witness that we are the children of God. That translated means that the Spirit himself continually bears witness to you that you are adopted, that you are a child of God continually. So if nothing else, God is speaking to you all the time that you're his kid. He's crazy about you. 
Think about this, guys. Think about this. Let's, let's just let's clear the air a little bit. I believe in the Trinity. I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that the three are one. If you don't believe in that, I'm sorry. I do. I believe that the three are one. And I don't think, because they have no beginning, nor do they have an end, we do. This earth has an end and a beginning. It was created and it will pass away. Right? I don't think that when they were getting ready to create us, they had a problem, a discussion that was all like, Jesus, you're the one that's going to have to go. Because it says that, the, that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew we were going to screw up. They knew the price they were going to pay. And I don't think that they had this like terrible disagreement in heaven where like, I don't want to do it. I don't think we should. Jesus, you're going to have to go. And Jesus was like, oh, I don't want to. And the Holy Spirit was like, just do it. That wasn't happening. The three are one. They were in complete agreement. We have this idea that God was just ready to destroy us. But thanks God, thank God for Jesus. That's not it. God wanted us for God so loved the world that he sent his son. It pleased the father to give his son for us. They weren't in a disagreement. They were in complete agreement with the fullness that they were going to give to us. We're going to create a whole kingdom of people that will never pass away, that get to, by choice, receive the fullness of how good we are. They're going to receive the fullness of how awesome our power is. They're going to receive the fullness of everything that we are, and we're giving it to them just because we love them. He's good. You know what? Look, he's God. He had the choice to be bad, but he chose to be good. I talk about this a lot too. Think about this. If, if you and your husband or wife, you have a child, what you get is what you get. Your actions created something. But when you adopt a child, how much choice does that adopted child have in who his parents are? None. But he grows up knowing who his parents are, knowing that everything that they have is his or hers. The adoption that we have wasn't our choice. It was given to us. We have the choice to receive them as our parents. You can live as an orphan as long as you want to, or you have the choice to receive your family. But the choice, the, the, the payment has already been there. They chose to create a kingdom of people that would be lavished in how good they are, in the fullness of everything that they are. I've said this all the time. I talk about it a lot. But how many of you know what the word Eden means? It means presence of pleasure. So God planted us in the beginning. The original design was us to have a kingdom where we abided in his presence of pleasure. And then through Jesus... We got all that plus heaven. Guys, I know that I know that there's hard stuff that happens. I've lived it. I've gone through it. A lot of it. It's so funny to me whenever people that don't know me or anything about my like story or my testimony and stuff, and they just know me for who I am now and, 
they come up to me and they're just like, you just must come from the most amazing family. I'd love to meet your parents. Tell me your story. And I tell them in like three minutes later, they're like, oh, God. And I'm just like, you asked for it. You know, the greatest thing about God is that he takes those things that are not and calls them as though they were. Behold, all things are possible with God. Some of you have got friends and family members that are going through some tough stuff, and you're on your knees praying for them. Start speaking their destiny. You're a child of God, adopted. You have his entire inheritance. There's no weapon formed against them that's ever going to prosper. You live in a kingdom that doesn't have any lack. There's no more sadness nor sorrow, no shadow of turning from his goodness. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. It means it's, re, it's without the changing of his mind. Jesus is a gift. The gifts that he's given to us, the callings of, of being a child, of being adopted, all those things, they're without repentance. That means he's not going to change his mind about how he thinks about you, about what he's done for you. And you know what? When did you receive the gift and the call that's on your life? Before you were formed. And he's not changing his mind about it. I don't care what people are going through. There's a high call of God on their life. And Jesus is not changing his mind about it. If you want to encourage yourself, conquer yourself, believe in who you are. Even if everybody's trying to kill you, everybody's forsaken you, everybody's left for you, you've been going through a season where you've been running from your life, for your life because of the favor that's on you, conquer yourself. I love sitting down with people and just telling them, you can do it. We're going to do this. This is going to happen, even if it doesn't look like it's going to. Somebody please say amen. amen. That's a good word. Come on. <laughs> Just give Jesus a shout. Give him some praise. My goodness. Praise God. My goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you just chose to be good to us, that you could have done anything. You could have been whoever you wanted to be for us. You could have created us just to be mean to us, but you chose to be awesome and give us everything that you have. We have all eternity to thank you for it. Jesus, I just, right now, I just call out all the, all the people that have been on their knees for their family, for their friends. Everybody that's just been absolutely pouring themselves out for those that they just want to encounter you. And I just speak that they conquer themselves. That the promises inside of us, that we would know the weight that they carry. That no matter what it looks like, there's so much greater coming. Holy Spirit, we love you. You make all things possible. You gave us gifts and callings that we didn't deserve, and you just gave them to us because you wanted to, because we're your kids. Thank you so much, God. 
Thank you so much. I want to share one last thing, just one, one more thing. And then uh, our worship team. Is that what we're doing, Isaac? Are you guys ready to set and go? Like, Isaac definitely, I think, wins the... Have you guys seen his shorts? <laughs> he didn't buy those. He already had them. Like, he already owned those. <laughs> like, that's, that's an award winner in itself. This is the last story I want to share with you guys. Matthew 13. Jesus starts telling two parables. The first one starts off and he says, The kingdom of God is as a treasure hidden in a field. And a man, upon finding it, sells everything that he owns and buys the whole field for the treasure that lays inside of it. But then right after that, notice he said, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is as a field, a treasure hidden in a field. But then he says, the kingdom of heaven is as a merchant in search of fine pearls. And upon finding one, sells everything he has in order to obtain the pearl. The first parable is about us, everything we have for the kingdom that's in the field. Notice that it's in a field, and if a treasure is hidden in a field, you have to search it out. You know, you have to search out the kingdom, even though it's, it's right there. But then he says, the kingdom of heaven is as a merchant that sells everything he has in order to obtain a pearl. For a long time, it's been preached that the pearl is the kingdom. It's not. The pearl's you. The kingdom of heaven is worth giving everything that you have for the rest of your life to search out this treasure. But it's because, you know, God always gets the final word. He gave everything for you already. And we get the rest of our life to search through the field and find the treasure. I was outside and I was looking up, and, and where I live, like, for some reason, you can see the stars better than you can around a lot of the parts of the city. I live right next to the mountains. And I was outside, and I was looking up at the stars and stuff. I'm not doing anything. I wasn't even really praying. I was just kind of out there. And the Lord speaks to me and says, what if you were continually, all the time, surrounded by your promise? I'm just like, that'd be cool. I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, Okay. And then he starts ministering to me about Abraham. What did God give him as a sign of his inheritance? He says, your offspring, remember, he has no children. And his wife is barren, always has been for 100 years. Your offspring will be as innumerable, innumerable as the stars in the sky or the sand of the ground, the dirt of the ground. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever been out to a place on a clear night where there's no light. There's, I mean, not for miles, but you look up and you can see so, you can see galaxies. I mean, it is, with, your, with just your eyes, I mean, you can see more stars than, than it's amazing. Cheney hates Texas with everything inside of him. It's, it's a true statement. But we were driving through Texas in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night, and I threw back my sunroof. 
And for hours, he just looked up at the stars, and he's like, I've never seen stars like this. This is beautiful. Because there's no light around. Now think about this. There was no light created other than fire at the time of Abraham. So he's looking up at all of these stars. And he was walking through a desert. So the sand at his feet, he was constantly surrounded by his promise. And I was like, that's still awesome, but I have no idea what you're saying. And he said, what was Jesus' promised inheritance? What did he come here for? Us. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was constantly surrounded by his promise, his inheritance, us, his bride. But then, why did he say it's better that I go to my father? Because I'm sending someone else that's just like me. He looks just like me. He's identical to me in every way. And behold, he will be with you and he will be in you. What's our promised inheritance? Him. And he's inside of everyone that you see. For God so loved the world, that means everybody, that he gave his only begotten son. I believe that there is a choice. I'm not a universalist. I believe that that people will go to hell. I believe in all that kind of stuff. People that don't believe, don't make that confession. I'm not a universalist. But I believe that there's Jesus in everyone that I see. I'm not the judge. I'm not the one that gets to say that he's going to hell. He's not. I don't get to do that. My job is to see my promise, my inheritance in everyone. To see the inheritance that they carry, even if they don't see it. Because I am continually surrounded by my promise, and so are you. He's all around you. This has got to change your perspective. The reason I told that story about my life was not in any way to get any kind of sympathy or whatever, but I promise you, if you ask anyone, my family, my friends, if you ask them if they ever thought that there was a hope for me, and being nice, they might have said yes, but I started doing drugs when I was nine. I was jacked up, super angry, always in trouble, horrible reputation. There wasn't a lot of hope for me. Austin's dad wouldn't let him come over to my house other than one time a year for like five years for good reason. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> like, and when he did come over, he had to like talk to my mom, my grandma. Every time we went somewhere, he had to know. He called my house like every three hours. It was crazy. But I'm just saying there was no hope. But with God, everything changed. I'll never forget the first time I, I had Bible study. We started like a Sunday school because I was supposed to be the youth pastor of the church, and I just wasn't a very good youth pastor. Plus, there was only like six kids in the church. So I just said, okay, how about on Sunday mornings, I'll do a Sunday school. And so I remember it was like eight o'clock in the morning, and like six or seven kids come into my room, and I knew that every single one of them were forced to be there because they were as tired as I was. And as soon as the first one would walk in, I'd hand them my coffee mug and be like, you know what to do. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at these kids, these six kids, and I'm thinking, all of your parents forced you to wake up early to come into my office so I could talk to you. 
And I thought about all the parents that were like, you stay away from my kids. You better not ever, ever call this house again. You stay away from them. You're nothing. And all these kids were forced to come into my office <laughs> so that I could sit there and talk to them. And I sat there and was just like, God, you are something else. <laughs> I don't care what your life looks like right now. It's not your end. You know, it does not matter how you start. It matters how you finish. <laughs> First to last. Now, if you run a 200-meter dash and you beat everybody for the first 100 meters and then you lose the race, you still lose the race. doesn't matter how great you started. Nobody cares, really. Like, man, you came off that line fast. What happened? Did you pull a hamstring? What? You go up on a team, as any of you that watched the Cowboys game not long ago. May they rest in peace. <laughs> No matter how much you go up on a team, if they win, they still won. Doesn't matter how many points you scored before they scored any. If they win, they win. I don't care how you've started or how your friends have started or whatever. I mean, if you're going through hard times, we want to pray for you and love on you and all that kind of stuff. But it's so you can get back on the track and win. Because if you don't quit, you win. Those that endure till the end, Jesus said, It is finished. Paul said, I have run the race. I've kept the faith. It doesn't matter how you start or what position you're in right now. If you don't quit, you're going to win. So team, worship team, come, yeah, come on up. Uh, if this is your first time at Pulse, this is our ministry time. So basically we go into worship. And we don't really have like an end time or any kind of agenda or any of that kind of stuff. This is just basically where we come together to worship. And uh, there's going to be people up here that would love to pray with you if you need somebody to pray with you. Um, if you just want somebody to agree with you through, through some stuff you're going through or just whatever, we'd love to.